Africa Sports Career Podcast, episode 223. How can psychology enhance your leadership skills? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode on the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest in a particular field in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in enhancing your knowledge and area of expertise in this topic of leadership. I really do hope that this podcast can support you with regards to your career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Graziella Fake. Graziella is a psychologist, motivational speaker, leadership expert, and the CEO of The Optimized Hub, where she specializes in transformation leadership in the education, sports, and business sector, particularly in the workplace. So for that reason, it's brilliant to have Graziella as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Graziella will share her sports career journey and explain to you why psychology can really enhance your leadership skills. Graziella, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Gosh, how far have you got? I'm 50 now. Do you want me to go back that far? So... Realistically, my career sports journey really began with falling in love with human beings, with sport. You know, I was obviously a child who loved sport, got into it. I was never really that great. I'm a mother of two athletes now. I wasn't going to go anywhere. I'm 50 now. So at 16, I was told to go get serious about my life and to stop playing sport because it wasn't really anywhere for, you know, women and girls to go in those days. Um, my passion actually originally started with a passion that it was ignited around human beings, human suffering, um, human achievement. You know, why is it that people could, on the one hand, achieve so much and then on the other hand, become so very distressed? And so my first passion was actually psychology and medicine. So just touch on that, because I'm really intrigued of your psychology career. When was the moment at a young age when you're right, human performance, understanding human achievement from a sort of psychology standpoint when do you decided to take that step and discover more in that topic out of interest oh so ed one of the things that for me is i've i've just had this in my blood my father and my mother were both diplomats and so my father actually um i was born in mumbai india and i'm maltese and italian of origin and I'm very proud of my heritage. Although as a young girl, it was very difficult for me, not only just tripping over my name, Graziella, but also the fact that we traveled through 13 different countries. And my father in his early days had worked with Mother Teresa. He was really fascinated with um, belief and drive and healing. And so, you know, he taught me very young that I lived on one side of the street, but I was responsible for another side of the street. So he took me into the slums um, although we lived on the other side of the street and said, you're always responsible for what's around you. So, you know, I grew up in um, 
a, a lifespan, I suppose, of always, you know, being shown through the vastness of many different continents and through the eyes of my father and my mother that, you know, the world around me was, you know, very connected. And so I became connected to it and I started to look at and feel out my place in the world. I always had a natural affinity with people. Um, I loved people. I probably was a bit of a duck out of water traveling so much, but I made friends easily. And not having a cohort in one place kind of made me this unique kind of child of the world. I mean, now when I introduce myself, I say I'm, you know, Graziella, I'm Maltese Italian, I was born in Mumbai, I carry an Australian passport, carry a European passport, and I happen to also be Nati Fatua from, you know, from New Zealand. And so and I work with the Pacific and spent time in the US. So I think you know, falling in love with people was pretty easy when I got to see as much as I did at an early age. Just going back, you, you really sparked a, a question which has really got my interest flowing. When your father said to have that self-awareness of responsibility within your own life and the people around you, how has that supported you in the work you're currently doing now? We'll go in a lot more detail, but that story you shared really resonates in what you're currently doing now with young leaders. I guess I've always been driven in the words now um, are very much akin to the words that we talk about, you know, with someone who mentors you uh, is duty of care. You know, so one of the things for me that I'm very passionate about, and in fact, this affinity I have when people bring up the words duty of care, I immediately feel this spark inside of me. Um, you know, in my early days, I got involved in forensics. You know, when I when I sought out what I wanted to do, I you know I found it was discovered it was psychology really by accident by finding out you know that I was really more fascinated not just in medicine but just in the mind and the medicine of the mind. So, I think that sense of drive to say I can do more, I can help the environment around me was was kind of where that catapulted me to. And it contributes to a large part of why I started the optimization hub, why I worked in change management, why I went into forensic psychology. I've always believed that, you know, human beings are a product of their situations and circumstances. They don't necessarily, you know, blindly make choices, um, but we have to educate. And I think, you know, we're an accident of birth and so we can never really truthfully blame someone if you don't have the knowledge you just don't have it so i sort of made it a bit of an early mission in life to sort of to not only look at the excellence of leadership but where can i plug the holes you know where is it that someone needs a little bit more of something so that they don't trip over stumbling blocks and they turn them into stepping stones i find that really interesting we're going to talk more about your, your philosophy of duty of care. Just going back in time from an educational standpoint, could you just explain to listeners what inspired you to study psychology? Well, what inspired me, I think, was just something that was inside of me. Um, like I said, you know, my fascination with people, I was, I was interested in what could I do? How could I serve? How could I deliver? So I suppose there was that duty of care, which we term it now as that attitude of service, that attitude of, you know, what is it that my talents and skills offer the world? And as I started to grow, you know, there were so many areas that were pulling at me because I found myself good at lots of different things. I mean, I think the greatest joke in my sojourn was I modelled in my younger years while I was studying forensics. And then I quit that after managing a modelling agency 
earning a fair good whack of money and then going to work in a maximum security jail for, you know, a pittance every year. So I think, you know, the thing is that I learned non-judgment from an early age. And because of that, I was able to look at people for who they really are and, and to listen to them and discover who they are. And I think that, you know, the unique part of me that, that drives everything that I do says, well, you know, I don't blame anyone or any situation. I think it's really important to empower and able and, you know, to work on things. And I remember when I said to my dad, you know, before he passed away, this is when in my younger years when he was still alive, I said, he said, what are you going to call, you know, when I, I studied, obviously, you know, um, psychology, went into forensics and then went into change management. And when I left forensics for a sojourn of time, I sort of went into my own sort of clinical practice and doing some things. He said, what are you going to call it? And I said, Futures for Empowerment, Dad. I, so I can't think of anything else to call it. And I still had the plaque that he made me. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's a bit quirky because that goes back, dials back to the 80s. But I think it's really about the fascination to um, to not diagnose people, but to enable people. So I actually left the classical career of being a psychologist behind and wrote programs and became more of a facilitator and an agent of change. Just on that point, just for any students listening who are studying psychology, as I mentioned in the Youth Forum about my first mentor, John Amicia, who's a psychologist, and he sort of said, psychology, you can apply it to anything. He said on my show, um, with regards to a certain industry sector, a certain role, relating to your experience studying psychology, how has that supported you with those coaching programs, working with young leaders, elite athletes, so a student can sort of understand that it's not just a being a psychologist, the learning lessons or principles can be applicable in all walks of life. Do you know, when I went to go and find out what I wanted to do with psychology, you know, getting accepted into psychology, getting accepted into your master's, I went to go and talk to a lady from KPMG's and I said, oh, you know, where can I go with my psychology career? I was only about 21 at that stage. And she said to me, you know, the one thing you could do is take yourself to your limits to find out what they are. And then you'll find the world of psychology applies to everything we do. And she said, you know, in those days, she was fortunate. She became a psychologist with a bachelor's and I'd had to go through bachelor's, master's and then go into registration and, you know, practice um, as well. So it was an 11-year journey for me in the end. And I, I'll i never forget those words. And, you know, the funny thing is I met her, you know, 20 years later and she to me giving a seminar in a forum and then I ended up climbing some hills and mountains and going trekking with it. But it's it's a it's a thing that I would say to anybody looking at their careers, go and talk to someone and and that person who can just open your eyes out to the world's your oyster. Psychology is a gateway to so many different careers. And I've got to say, I was kicking and screaming when my daughter said to me she was fascinated with psychology. She happens to be a national athlete. And um, she said, but I'm going to take it into the law and I'm going to take it into economics. So you can take it any place. You know, it's not necessarily sitting down it's not a movie story. You know, if you are fascinated, I think it's wonderful to sit down with someone and to be able to change their world and to use paradigms of behavioral psychology or neuro-linguistic programming or, um, you know, developmental psychology or neuropsychology, wherever your, your sort of your, your spark takes you, but explore everything. And you'll find that just like anything blooms, psychology will bloom, but not just to one flower, but to a bouquet of opportunities. 
Well, I hope the listeners are taking notes and it works really so well with my next theme question of today's podcast. How can psychology enhance your leadership skills? Well, that's a passion topic of mine because I started um, a program called Transformational Leaders and I came out as a transformational leader in the 90s and um, leadership fascinated me. So when I, I, I left, you know, I graduated in psychology, I went for three different careers, I got accepted to some fantastic opportunities, um, you know, in aviation and space aviation, and then also in forensics, I chose forensics. And then I went from forensics into um, learning and working in a maximum security jail, which is one of those push and shove environments. But I learned very quickly that the determination of human spirit and the, the will to recover is about leadership skills. And, you know, that leadership was, you know, something that wasn't necessarily innate, but could be learned if we were taking the opportunity to examine our behaviours and how we could deliver what we learned to the rest of the world around us and adapt and bring people with us. So I went on from that world of leading forensics into running programs for multinationals, ended up running programs for around about 26 multinationals, some in global mergers and finance um, and, you know, in law. And the whole area was about leadership development. So we would take, you know, sometimes groups of up to 600 through massive projects of two years. And leadership became a bit of a buzzword at that time. I think what I would like to rest on there is that the opportunity of psychology around leadership is more that, you know, to be a great leader, it's, it's not so much leading from the front, it's leading from the back, it's servant leadership, it's listening, it's the opportunity to understand that human behaviour drives everything. That's why economists are, you know, are great grafters of psychology. I ended up teaching psychology to economists. I think the importance is that um, the world of understanding people is not in psychology is not diagnosis. It's more, what can I learn so that I can adapt tools to bring the best out in people? And psychology enables you, and the study and the paradigm of psychology enables you to, as an applied science, take yourself into any environment and apply it to bring out the best in people. That's what leaders do. So, you know, teaching leadership and, you know, growing the opportunity to understand human beings from the, the behavioural perspective, but also, you know, I think great leaders have to know how to guide people through challenges. And psychology gives you those tools to, you know, take people through change and challenge. And that's what leadership's all about. Wow, what a great definition you shared at the end. Just on that note with leadership, it's something I'm exploring now as a topic myself. And I, I understood what you meant. It sometimes can be a bit of a buzz term, but for me, I, I sort of use it as a skill. Out of interest, how important is confidence with a person developing their leadership skills? It's at the basis of everything. So if I wind back to the basis, I ended up writing a series of programs, so an entire curriculum of leadership programs, um, a curriculum of programs, some of them we now use in the Optimization Hub, and they're all based around what develops great leadership. And so we talked about transformational leadership, authenticity, you know, and the ability to have what we call influence and autonomy as a leader, but also to be intuitive. And how did you arrive there? And so, you know, to get to that place, we have to be self-aware, you know, and so confidence comes from a place where you listen to who you are 
and you know you grow comfort you know in everything that you're doing with the opportunity to know where you're at on a daily basis what your limits are where you're going to what your direction is i think confidence gets lost when we try to be like someone else or when we try to take ourselves and measure it against what we think we need to be you know who you are as a human being is incredible nobody else exists like you so right now what you've got to do is say okay so who am i today not who someone tells you you are or who you think you need to be real confidence is always going to arrive right in your belly and right in you know in your sort of your heart center and just where you are where you're sitting it's that solid foundation it's that gut intuition that says right i'm breathing and i am who i am and who is that you know like don't ask yourself too many questions learn to shut the internal critic off and and really truthfully just go okay well today i'm someone who doesn't know where they want to be but i'm really comfortable with it and today i happen to like those flowers over there and i feel like you know potato salad for lunch whatever it is make it really simple i think that we've overcomplicated everything we have on this planet and you know, confidence is actually fairly simple when we just narrow it down to the basics of living inside your skin, knowing who you are day to day and not digging in too deep. Like, you know, sometimes we're, we're trying to go too deep, um, which I kind of disagree with. I sort of think, well, we keep on sort of shoveling. <laughs> There's nothing left. Uh, absolutely. Out of interest, what inspired you then to start your optimization hub? What was the inspiration of starting this journey of your career i think it's you know you touched on something really important there ed and you know i just i really admire what you're doing i admire so much about what i saw in the youth conference at sega i have such a passion for the youth of the world um, and such a passion for leadership all the topics you've touched on are my drivers and so when I look at the world of, of sport and when I look at, you know, basically everything that took me to this particular point, I was under the misdemeanor that, you know, um, sport was really, you know, throwing out lots of healthy people who knew who they were. And it took me a while to discover that some of the guys I'd worked with in my early days, you know, in the Māori All Blacks and other particular situations were coming out of sport and they weren't landing out so well. So I've always been a, a bit of a, an investigator and I, I wanted to find out what was going on and why. And I just seemed to be meeting a lot of athletes, you know, saying the same things to me. And I guess it didn't go unnoticed. And I was at a time where I'd moved countries, was kind of looking at um, what I wanted to do. And the Optimization Hub was really the culmination of a passion and love for sport, for young people, for leadership, which again, you know, is part of that driver for building confidence in people who were coming out, but finding a solution that said, okay, something's missing. And what it was was that sport wasn't really onboarding its athletes very well or offboarding them very well. And so it needed a curriculum. It needed a, a curriculum to develop whole people who were going in and learning everything they needed to um, in sport. And that's the duty of care of any environment that you're in, you know, that you're in there and you become enhanced as a person. We do it in corporations. We do it in so many other career pathways. We don't do it in sport. So the absence of a curriculum in sport that develops the professional, acknowledging that professional starts at such a young age, 
and that you know there are missing pieces in that young professional's life was my driver it was kind of like well if no one else is doing this i'm going to go and do it because it's necessary and i don't want to see the churn and burn at the other end and so it really was around prevention of you know, any more of that occurring. It was around um, gathering people, you know, I know you've had Benny Gollings and there are others that that are on my team. People who are professional athletes coming back in, learning those tools and being able to then teach those tools to others so that we prevent further situations, you know. And so we have a very unique environment. You know, we work with five or six professionals. We don't, you know, churn people through. They go through and it's only over a short six week, once once hour, one hour a week kind of process. But it's a fun, easy learning training environment, teaching all the things that we're missing. Just with regards to the fulfillment aspect of you now doing it, what have you learned from the experience? I guess I've really felt um, for me, what's come for me out of this experience is just how fantastic everything you know is when it all comes to the place where you're meant to be. I feel like the optimization hub is is a pinnacle part of everything I've done in my lifetime to this point. So what has it fulfilled in me or what has it given me? I mean, I have two, I'm a mother of two young athletes. Um, I think it serves a drive inside of me. I just have a natural love and passion for people and for leadership. And I hope that I serve my team really well. I think what it gives me on a daily basis is joy. Um, I see a lot of pain. Um, and, I, you know, my driver is to get rid of that on a daily basis. You know, we've got so many teams in quarantine. We've got Olympians going through what they're going through. We've got coach development. But I think it's it's fulfilling a purpose. It's saying, right, this is so very necessary. So there's a joy in that. So that's what it gives me on a daily basis. Well, I can see your smile. I'm smiling as well. And I want to dig deep here, if you don't mind, um, from what you've studied, what you're doing now, Optimization Hub, and no pressure with this question, but how has your education and leadership supported you as a mum? And I'll explain why I said this question, because when I was wanting to be an elite athlete, there wasn't the knowledge of parents helping their children be elite athletes or achieve what they want to achieve. There's a lot more knowledge now. So with a bit of self-reflection, how has all your journey support you as a mum with two children who, who are elite athletes out of interest? I think it's just given me, um, I always, this is, this is going to probably strike a balance there. I say to the, to anyone who says to me, you've got amazing children. I say, well, I learn from my children every day and I want to grow up to be like them. I'm very childlike in my view of the world and I have fun and I'm that embarrassing mum who's always having fun. I think what I've learned most um, out of everything that I've done in life is that joy and fun is the one thing that you can create. So in whatever situation you're in, go for that. I absolutely adore my kids. Um, I learn so much from them every day, but I think I also have a role to educate them. And I think it just, it's enhanced my ability to always communicate. And often they'll reflect back to me, mum, we just tell you everything. And we know that our friends don't necessarily tell their parents everything, but they're very comfortable telling me everything because I don't, you know, shape it up in a nice box with a bow. I kind of say, well, this is what it's really like. And then what do you think your decision needs to be from that? So I think, it, you know, it's, it's taught and shaped the way that I parent because I parent in conversations and I parent in choices. I certainly am strict about certain things, but I, you know, I, 
I allow the kids to see the opportunity, you know, that's in front of them all the time by never sort of masking it. And I don't mask the pain that's out there in the world either, but I don't shove things down their throats. And I think sometimes as parents, we're sort of uncertain about the role that we play. I mean, my kids started a foundation when they were eight and five for mothers because they saw a little boy kicked across a room who died and they said, oh, mum, you know what to do about this. And I said, well, they said, we want to start this. And so they did and I just helped them. I think if we listen to our kids, they're actually teaching us something every day. They teach us to see the things and if we can embrace what they think is possible, then we always turn the impossible into the possible. So um, I guess that's what it's given me is, is that I take that view to everything I do. If they have an idea, then I will do whatever it, it takes to, to help them realise that. And if they trip over something, then they learn how to fix it. Thank you so much for sharing that story about the foundation. I'm in awe in this conversation. And the one thing I've learned from you with regards to our session with Sega is your communication skills. And I really want to tap into that. And it relates to what you've just said of being a mother. Out of interest, how have you developed your communication skills with regards to different mediums? If it's on camera, if it's audio, if it's um, doing a workshop, how have you grown? Because I think the listeners will learn a lot from you with regards to how you've developed with regards to this skill. Well, um, I think, you know, as I was listening to you, I was thinking back to being a teenager myself and getting out on stage. You know, I speak to, you know, thousands and, and audiences now and I have no qualms about speaking to a large auditorium full of people. I just talk to them as if they were sitting in my living room or my sofa. I say that to my team all the time, even online. I say, you know, everyone in front of you is just sitting in your living room. You just have to get them comfortable with who you are and where you are. And you need to be comfortable as well. If you're inside your head, you're not really in the conversation. And I think when I think back to being 17, 18, standing on stage, I was in my head. Like I was finding it so difficult. I get constricted. I wouldn't know what to say, you know, and I was constantly being put in situations where I'd have to give a speech or I'd try something out and always measuring myself, you know, against other people. So even though I had that natural internal confidence, I found the audience quite difficult, you know, when I was younger. Um, as I went through, you know, what I learned in psychology and working with people, when you sit down, I suppose, in a maximum security jail, I, mean, I also went away to university. I went to Otago University. I didn't know anyone there. Landed on a floor with nothing but rugby guys. And, um, you know, all I knew how to play was soccer. So it was just like the two twains and worlds in, um, in the deep dells of, of Otago University. But I, I think you've got to throw yourself into situations where you explore by listening and we're just breathing and learning that it's okay to listen because listening is the art of communication and we've forgotten that when you listen and you give everything a pause and you breathe and then you know you're not worried about what you have to say you just kind of say what you say in response and you start to flow that's much better through so many mediums, that's all we have to do. Standing in front of an audience, it's a passion. I often say the greatest tips to speaking in front of an audience is know your topic, don't be afraid to make eye contact, look for the friendliest faces and be passionate about what you're sharing. And, and don't forget to have that relationship. You know, 
feel what they, those people really need to learn from you. Um, especially this medium we, we now have to use a lot more, which is on a screen. You know, it's very much, some people feel like it's a barrier, but I actually feel like it's an amazing conduit. I get to sit with amazing people like you. You know, I love this. I get to, to see this incredible person doing this incredible role, bringing so many incredible things to the world. And, and I'm, you're, you know, a million miles away. And we really shouldn't have this connection, but we do. So I think it's just being in awe of every situation and just remembering to enjoy everything. If you're wanting to communicate through a medium and you find it difficult and the confidence isn't, you know, really within you, you look at, forget the word confidence, forget the word medium, look at the person and listen and discover who they are. And then I think the confidence and the communication flows from there. Well, thank you for the kind words, but I, I, I'm, got you know to me this is what I love what I do and it's a pleasure to have you on the show look I really just want to tap in one thing you've mentioned it a few times and you talked about the power of listening could you just share your experience when you were working in the jail cell did that skill set enhance in that environment when working in 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 a prison out of interest I think you know um I broke a few glass ceilings quite early on and I remember I never was very conscious of it. So I remember in later years, um, there was a young, um, there was a young psychologist who came in after me and she said to me, I'm really grateful that you did so well because they wouldn't have hired me otherwise. Um, and I never really thought about it. I remember my first panel interview, you know, there were six people sitting there and um, in, in New Zealand, you have a, a Komato who's the, um, he was a commato for the Department of Corrections, Desripi, and he's still very important to me, though he's passed on now. And another fantastic man called Piero Gerardi. And they asked me a series of questions. And I remember, you know, I'd learnt to listen a little bit more. Um, and it sounds funny, I actually learnt that a lot more in the modelling environment because people were so, you know, so concerned about the externals. And I would just spend a lot of time listening to people. And I actually, you know, designed some courses and was running the school at Jindeli Watkins while I was, you know, studying. And listening became a friend because as I listened, I learned more about myself and what I thought, what I felt and what felt right. And I think um, if, you, if you look at the experience of working in a maximum security jail as a young female, I walked into that environment and I remember I had two male colleagues walking with me and we walked in and the first place they took me was to the museum and the museum and the jail is where, um, you know, you see all the implements and things that get created and the weapons that have been created. And it was meant to shock me, but it didn't. I was just fascinated. And then we sort of went down through the bowels of the jail and then into the first series of cells. And sure enough, you kind of the grills shut and then the next series of grills and then they shut again and you end up in this, you know, this kind of grill with a series of inmates and, and, I found myself just having conversations with people and listening. And I think not feeling threatened and just listening and walking into our comato for the jail and him taking me through the jail, I just spend a lot of my time in observation and listening. And yes, it is a skill base you learn in the art of psychology, but it's also one that you learn as you start to discover who you are rather than telling people who you are, which you sometimes have to do later in life when you get old like me, um, you kind of get to the point where when you're younger, it's listening and absorbing and then, 
and then saying, hey, look, I've got this idea. Can I share it with you? And then, you know, you sort of go on from there, building your trail of respect, building your story, your legacy. So, yes, I think you'd naturally think it came from the jail, but it actually came more from my modelling career. <laughs> uh, look, I'm finding this conversation fascinating and really thank you for sharing that insight from that experience. Just looking back of your career, and by the way, age is just a number, just to say, um, because what you're doing is amazing work. Um, what have you enjoyed the most from your career looking back right now? Gosh, it's um, very hard to choose because even though there were points in my career that were really uncomfortable, I mean, I remember when I was really passionate about getting into psychology at 14 and I started to do volunteer work. Um, I remember going, you know, to go and volunteer at Women's Refuge and other places and I got turned away because of how I looked. And so I went and cut my hair off and I dyed it black and, you know, put a different set of clothes on and I ended up getting the volunteer job. I think as uncomfortable as that was, you know, years later, again, that person that, you know, had sort of said you couldn't get this looking like that had, you know, come and listened to me at another particular speech I was giving at um, in forensics or with policing. And I said to her, oh, do you remember me? I was that girl that, you know, turned up and, and I said, I said a thank you to her because I said, you taught me at that time that I could do anything and I didn't have to change how I looked. Um, I went and did that at that point in time. So there are always going to be uncomfortable points. People are always going to push you and just know when you're in discomfort that whatever comes out the other end is going to be even better. So I, I can't say there was a particular thing. Um, you know, I, I got to speak at, you know, the UN, you know, after 9-11 and that was pretty amazing. And you'd think that was the highlight, but there were, there were so many other things and they're, they're very small things moments that just stay carved in your memory you know standing outside the university of peace in san diego and and seeing that plaque out there and um it's gandhi saying you know one drop in the ocean starts a ripple and, and that's how the world changes but i don't know I, I i really like everything i've done it's very hard for me to pick a particular moment and I'd say that there were some moments that were really uncomfortable to get through, some really big ceilings for me to push through. Um, some times where I might've been judged for, you know, being female or um, not being able to do something or my youth or my enthusiasm or, you know, anything. But I sort of embrace it all now um, more because it made me who I am today. And, it made me a better mother as well as, you know, a better leader, I believe, and a better person. Wow. Thank you so much for that response. I was going to say a bit like a rebel leader, you know, I think that's what I've learned from you is, you know, from what you've enjoyed, you've actually shared of the obstacles, if that makes sense, that made you stronger. So I think I'm learning so much from you in that part. Um, look, Graziella, you've you provided so much tips, advice, most of all experiences from your journey. But I'm at a stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. Now, we've touched on leadership, but imagine somebody's listening here, Ken. I, I just want to be better with who I am, but just be better of how I communicate with people as a leader in their environment. What three tips would you give to a person who wants to, to improve their leadership skills? Like, what three steps would you give 
just from the basic foundation level, if that makes sense. Basic foundations. Find some leaders that you really respect and admire and, and unpack what you like about them and what they're doing. Not what they have, but what you like about what they do. Then just listen. Listen to them. Um, and those leaders don't necessarily have to be, you know, prime ministers or leaders of organisations. They can be, you know, someone that you see doing a good deed. Um, you know, unpack what you think leadership really truthfully means to you. Uh, one of the tips I give to people is, you know, who would you follow through a, a burning house? I mean, that gives you that feeling of intuitive safety. And that usually is what a great leader will give you, that, that sense of safety, that you know that whatever it is, that they're going to give you the best they can to get you through the things that are difficult. Um, and I think if you want to grow your skills out from that basis, then it's really just knowing the things that represent you. You know, pick two or three or four qualities that really represent you and start to use those in what you do um, who you are, what you extend, build your own leadership brand, your way of doing things. And the other aspect is I think you can't ever sort of leave the listening behind and you can't leave the sharing behind. Um, never sort of feel that you're above anything. Always feel that you're beside it because that's where you do your best work is when you're working with people. Um, I don't know what else to add to that, but I just think... It's, it's having faith in yourself and knowing who you are. Leadership is about the certainty of who you are so you can provide other people with the platforms of certainty to be better at who you're wanting to be. That's amazing. Like, thank you so much for sharing those three tips. And out of interest, how can people interact with you on social media? They can find me at Grazia Thake at the Optimization Hub um, Com. like they can email me that's fine just a graziella at the optimization hub.com on social media they can interact with me on linkedin um, where i'm just known as graziella thake and ceo of the optimization hub um, you, they can find me as graziella thake on um i believe on twitter and on instagram aren't i great on this social media thing <laughs> I'm on, all, I'm on all things. But one thing I can say to you, Ed, is there is no other Graziella Thake in the whole world. So um, I'm the only one. There's only one name like mine. So if you go looking for me on social media, you'll find me. <laughs> Amazing. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website relating to this blog post. Graziella, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it, Ed. Like nothing else, it's great. And I hope to see you again soon. Wow, what a fantastic podcast chat with Graziella. For me, I have to say this, I think you better get a cup of tea and come back and re-listen to that and take some notes because I firmly believe this is a sort of podcast where, including myself, I've had to listen to it a few times with regards to how I can improve myself, with regards to my leadership skills, communication skills, really relating to Graziella's experience. That was my biggest takeaway from her, of the stories she shared with her father, with her own children, of how psychology is applicable in who we are and how we communicate. And particularly with leadership, it all comes down to our confidence and 
internal belief in who we are and how we want to serve others. So look, I really do hope you found this podcast helpful, useful with regards to your development. This is why I love what I do is creating and doing conversations like this that can really educate the world. This is to me how I define podcasting. It can really educate the world. And I applaud you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. But without a doubt, you need to put your notes, any ideas that resonated you from listening to Graziella into practice relating to what you do. So on that note, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate if you subscribe and leave a review uh, with regards to your experience listening to this podcast and if possible, rate the show as well. But in the meantime, take action with regards to Graziella's tips, advice and how you can be a better leader and a better communicator relating to your work in the sports industry and put it into practice now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Graziella said, being a great leader is about knowing who you really are and helping people through challenges.